All right, so there's a lot to talk about with The Reckoning. But the first thing that I want to mention is the fact that you know, we've talked about how Deep Space Nine sometimes doesn't really have a lot of sci-fi elements. It's like a straight-up drama, yes. interpersonal drama. And in this episode, I was really reminded that it is a science fiction show because here we have a religious order that is using science. Yes. they, <laughs> And that is very much science fiction. Yeah. They, they, there will – even though the events in The Reckoning are one of great spiritual magnitude just as everything from uh, – you know, the Bajoran religion has great spiritual magnitude. There is a scientific underpinning. Um, that one conversation between Cisco and Dax where uh, they're talking about the difference between the terms wormhole aliens and the prophets yeah. or along those lines. And you know they can be affected by chroniton particles. They know scientifically how the prophets work, but – Cisco's view is ultimately it doesn't matter. It again, it's similar to Clark's law. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So yes, any sufficiently advanced alien is indistinguishable from a god. Whether this is a divine being or an alien that is so advanced but is taking a interest in Bajor, it's irrelevant. I think. And I think you know that makes me realize that that one of the things that I think is is most striking about the the prophet slash wormhole aliens is that. They at you know they slot very nicely into the the Star Trek God being sort of trope, yeah. while at the same time really subverting it because they're not the same as you know Q or Trelane or whoever you know and or the so one from Star Trek Five the one from Star Trek Five and we got the the Metrons you know so there's all kinds of ones from especially the original series where that seemed to happen every other week and the Excalibans, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's interesting because like they they don't really interfere, right? They don't do anything. They're just kind of there and they seem to have an interest in Bajor, but they don't really seem to I it's unclear why they have such an interest in Bajor. And I don't know if it's just because Bajor's right there. Um maybe Bajor rises and falls with the wormhole, I don't know. But this episode kind of changes the relationship i think between the prophets and and the bajorans and even cisco a little bit because we've got the the revisitation of the pa wraiths and that's a big deal in this episode we have not seen a pa wraith since they were first the concept was first introduced back in the beginning of the fifth season when one took over keiko yeah and it's I don't. I never quite know how i feel about the pa wraiths i mean i would be I'm assuming that the show is going to lead to the very non-surprising revelation that they're the same class of being, really, prophets and the paw rates. Mm-hmm. They're the same species, for lack of a better term. They're in this episode, they go almost towards a you know Catholic mysticism angle of angels and dev- are, devils are fallen angels, right. so the paw rates are kind of fallen prophets. Yeah, I think so. I I don't know. I don't remember what they said about the Paw Wraiths in the assignment aside from They had been They were in, they were in the fire caves on Bajor. They'd been basically false prophets who tried to get into the celestial temple but were cast out. And again, that 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 isn't that dissimilar from, you know, certain angels did not want to obey God and so were cast out. It's the right, same kind of right. story to me. And it's not incidental that the, at the end of the episode mm-hmm. when they have the battle, the paw wraith is red, it's got the red eyes, you know, that kind of the thing. The evil one, yeah. It's there these this is a very this is a 
retelling with Bajoran flavoring of the general Book of Revelation kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So how are you feeling about the development of of the Bajor storyline in in particular? Well, because they don't they don't do a lot with it, but they have an episode or two a season that deals with it. Yes. Um, it's an interesting direction for it to go. When I was first watching – during the first half of the episode, I thought this is mentioning a lot of concepts without mentioning them earlier. Like they're just kind of pulled from nowhere. I do like that this episode ends very unresolved, so this very much was – Introducing this concept of the reckoning, the golden age of Bajor, this evil one, all of that. Um, I, I'm assuming and hoping that there's a final part in this chapter. Right. Because this does need to be resolved at some point. It does need to be resolved at some point. And I think that – I don't know. What you're seeing I think is the you know piecemeal, piecemeal development of the Bajoran religion in the show and also the fact that for some reason, there were paw wraiths in the fire caves, which, you know, uh, possessed Keiko O'Brien. Yeah. But then I guess the real bad one was in the tablet. Like <laughs> it's, it's unclear. And, and I don't I think that's OK because we are dealing with religious mysticism. Yeah, especially. And I think they do sell a bit of it by ha- by ironically having Kai Win and this other priest that we this other Vedic that we see early on not knowing anything about this part of the, what the prophets are dealing with this is something that was never really revealed in a prophecy and so it's new even to the religion they're able to interpret it but that it it is a brand new concept to the to to the church as well yeah, yeah, and I think that it's, you know, Kai Wynn's really, I mean, Kai Wynn's role in this episode is very interesting because yeah. in a sense she's going back to being a straight-up villain. But I would say that Kai Wynn in this episode is completely right. She's an antagonist, but I actually was very much against Cisco in this episode, huh, and I was interesting. very much on, because, let's put it this way, her, her point at the beginning when she says, you know, the Cardassians just plundered all of our national treasures. I didn't expect the Federation to do this. Look at where Kaiwen's been in the past couple of episodes. She's gotten gotten so beaten down and broken. She finally trusts that Cisco is going to be the one who's going to help Bajor, that yeah. the Federation really is the— And now that she's finally let her guard down and finally started trusting him, what's the first thing they do? Cisco comes in and swoops in a priceless religious relic. She's a little shocked by this. Frankly, if at one point Cisco says, "Oh, I wasn't going to ask her because she wouldn't have said yes," but ask for permission, not for you know, not, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Exactly. But what if Cisco had come and said, "We have this relic. You can't figure. You can't completely decipher it. We have some resources, maybe working together." Because I mean. Well, Cisco says that his re- his Cisco's resources are a computer and Dax, somebody who does not have any particular who has never not lived on Bajor as she did. If she's not an export in Bajoran traditions, right? They don't they don't have anybody from the temple who have been already studying it, looking from it. They're looking at ideograms that they don't really understand. It's a very this comes off as he's plundering a he is plundering an, a, a cultural treasure without asking for permission. Well, I mean. Just and because he's saying he's the emissary, there are a lot of. Well, I think that that's what really does complicate things because yeah. 
is he is the emissary. He and, is the and emissary. He's, he's you know Bajorans view him as the emissary. It has been established that he is the emissary in that one episode where the guy comes out of the yeah. wormhole, and you know, uh, which I don't remember the name of, but what was that? A session, I think, or something like I that. Think so anyway. Uh, and and now Kai Wen has even accepted him as emissary. And while she may not like him personally, she respects his role yeah. in the Bajoran religion and the Bajoran mythology, and and what he's doing. And also, Cisco does now accept his role as emissary. And in this episode, especially, he has faith in the prophets. I mean, in this episode, it's kind of revealed that he goes to services at the temple, you mm-hmm. know, because the, the priest is saying, captain, are you coming in? You know, like normally it seems like he would go yeah. in there for services, which is something that I don't know that we've seen before. But I think that Kai, I mean, my, I have a different interpretation of that because I think that Kai Wynn is being very, very, I don't know what the word is, but, but she's being a little two faced about the fact that she cares so much about this, this Bajoran tablet being plundered because no, she is making Cisco, a bigger deal Cisco of it. Cisco is then. the emissary. Cisco is not a Cardassian. He took it to deep space nine. It's not like he took it to earth. So to me, I think that Cisco is, you know, maybe Cisco is being a little Put cavalier about it, but I think that he's, He's in the right. I think Cisco towed a line, certainly. And sure, maybe Kai Wynn felt that he crossed one. But at the same time, I think he comes. A li- he doesn't really seem to take her objections seriously enough. I think. I don't think he takes Kai Wynn seriously. Yeah, I- and I think this is at a point... I mean, they, they end saying you have faith, but it's just ambition. They end with Kai Wynn having... Uh, treating Kai Wynn as if she's she's done the wrong thing when... Again, from my perspective, she, along with the first minister, because yeah. they do make a big point about this is the first time you and the first minister have ever agreed on anything. Cisco reads that as how did you manipulate them? But right. I read it as this is something that ev- that even Wynne and Shakar agree on, that that's how this important – that's how important this is. That's how big this gesture really is. Um at the same time, the the priest who uncovered the tablet let Cisco yes. take it. So this is not a, a orthodox opinion. Let's say, <laughs> fair enough. I I guess I mean it is. I I guess this is a this is in a lot of ways a typical Deep Space Nine muddy muddy situation, yeah. which doesn't really have a single right answer again from cisco's view he's totally in the right from kai Wynn's view she's totally in the right right and meanwhile all of bajor is just kind of being in the balance between the two well i think that that i mean it seems to me that that kai Wynn's objections really really start to come into play when the the reckoning happens yes. or whatever you know and so, like, you've got floods and natural yeah. disasters on Bajor, and she's really freaked out by that. She thinks that uh, Cisco removing the tablet from Bahala is the cause of this. I don't know if it is. But, but it's that's a very reasonable conclusion for her to come to. Though. It is. And I think that, that she is operating on a different kind of, a different kind of um, mm-hmm. plane than Cisco because Cisco is totally looking at this as a religious mystical thing. And he is wondering what the prophets want him to do. While Kai Wynn is, I mean, she says in this episode again, reminds us all that the prophets have never spoken to her. Yeah, she does not have a personal relationship with uh, Jesus, <laughs> the prophets, and she, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't deny her faith. I don't mistrust it, 
I think it comes from a real place. But I think that her concerns are a lot more worldly than mm. Cisco. And so for me, I look at this and I say, I think that Cisco did what he did because he wants to figure out what the prophets are doing. He's looking at this from a totally yeah. mystical place, whereas Kaiwen is not. And and it they they're both I think they're both justified in their actions. Yeah. They're both interpreting them in ways that justify their actions because Cisco seems to think that the secret to stopping the natural disasters on Bajor and the wormhole from shaking is to figure out what's on this tablet, whereas Kai Wen believes that taking the tablet back to Bajor is what's going to stop this. And it turns out that they're both wrong mm-hmm. because what happens is Cisco needs to shatter the tablet. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, it makes though it make does make a lot of sense that Win is going to be the more worldly one because she is the one who actually is on Bajor. She is the one who is actually seeing the destruction. That what what Cisco gets is these reports that every so often he gets a very detached view of the problems on Bajor. They're just lines thrown at him every so often. But when is the one who actually knows some of the people who's been to the places that are being flooded yeah and so that is going to be her concern again she makes it very she says i think the prophets are making it very clear since you took the tablet this has happened this has happened this has happened Uh, again it it does turn out they're both wrong but from her view it's she i think she's very justified in this i i don't think that she's unjustified Mm. but i i think that her actions at the end of the episode are problematic yes and i don't but the but again another situation where there's no right answer can she well i don't really understand her motivations there it's difficult yes and i she says a lot of it is is due to she's on this episode makes a particular very subtle callback to um that episode where Worf and Dax were on that mission and he turns back to save her change of heart change of heart yes uh when uh, when Kira is possessed Odo is saying oh she would want she would want to serve the prophet yes. in this way she's open to that and Odo has a little Odo and Worf have a little moment where Odo says to Worf you know, be be grateful you don't have to make the choice between you know see, seeing your loved one hurt and dying or doing what they want and mm-hmm. Worf has made that exact choice yeah. and at the end they're saying to Cisco this is your son can you can you really sit by and let your son which is I mean his, Jake has not number one you know Kira may have chosen to be the vessel of the prophets but Jake has in no way chosen to be the vessel of the evil one and right I think but thematically that's sure it, of course you know it, it makes sense because this is the you know this is the paw wraith in a sense picking the person who is yeah. going to test Cisco's faith the most. Oh no, yeah, and it, it was a great choice in that it was the most dramatic choice that could yeah. have been made. But at the same time, it was not a willing choice from Jake's view. Even though he says at the end, you know, I felt the paw wraith's hatred and you know it needed to be stopped. Whatever price needed to stop it, but I think for Kai Win, this suddenly because part of it is this becomes too far. The price of Bajor's golden age is not even worth the life of Jake Sisko or Kira Norris. Well, right, but I think that the weird thing is, I, and this is why I, I, I think that Kai Wen is a problematic character, yeah. not because she's not well written or well no. developed, but because I don't really understand what her motivation. It's true, are and that's me time guessing. Yeah, is that you know the reckoning is supposed to happen? It is supposed to be resolved, and I think her honestly, I think that her 
going to ops and you know putting on the chronotone particles to to make the wormhole aliens slash profit slash paw race yeah. leave is because I don't know that she has faith that the profit will win that fight and I think that that is you know it 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 does complicate her character because it calls her faith into question and and I'm not yeah. saying that that's something that really we need to concern ourselves with because people's faith is whatever it is but. I think that Kira realizes that as well, especially in that last scene in the episode when, you know, Kira basically, you know, berates Kai Wynn for doing yeah. it and, and says, you know, this is going to have to happen at some point. You just postponed it. It's, and yeah. so, you know, wh- I, I don't know what she was really thinking. I don't know if she didn't want Deep Space Nine to be destroyed. That was also Worf's, you know, uh, uh, objection to this as well. Yeah. Because, Cis- because again, Cisco is really looking at this from a place of of spirituality and he is not as worried about deep space nine because he has faith that the prophet will prevail in this fight. Yeah. I think she just doesn't want Armageddon. There are plenty of stories where religious people wish to bring about Armageddon and to see what happens and to have the end of things. But I don't think Wynn is willing for that, but it is true. I like that. The episode ends with there's going to be some consequences from this and nobody knows what they are. They nobody are. knows what they are because the paw wraith is still out there. Coast yeah. Ojin, which is a great name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, let's let's talk about um, Dax and Cisco in this episode, because I actually think that this is a really nice episode for Dax and Cisco. We haven't seen them together yeah. in that sort of friendly camaraderie yeah. sort of way in a while. And it's it's just nice to see that. Like I, I like her character. I like him. I like their friendship. And it's it's nice that the show remembers that they have that. It, it in a way grounds him because for the most of this episode, he's acting as the emissary. And then this Dax is one person who will never. Dax has known Cisco since he was very young and green. Yeah, and. So they they have a little they're making jokes they're teasing each other throughout this um and that that humanizes him very much in this. I mean, we have Jake's kind of plot throughout this where he's dealing with the with knowing that his father is the emissary and that's right. really deeply weird for him. Not only is his father suddenly spouting all this mystical stuff that he doesn't really exactly understand and where does that even come from, but as he says, you know, there've been several times where this has directly hurt yeah. Cisco yeah. and by the end of this episode this has directly hurt Jake. Yeah. So this is a very big deal for Jake, and I'm glad that they uh, – he Cisco makes it clear in this episode he is still – he's always his father. No matter what, he is Jake's father, and again, that humanizes him too. I think one of the – the episode where they first discover Valhalla, I always forget its name. Uh, Rapture. Rapture. I want to – they have very similar names, obviously. Um Rapture, Cisco is acting the weirdest we've ever seen him. Mm-hmm. Um, he is in full-on emissary mode. There is a little he, – he might as well be backlit the entire episode. Uh, and so this one this one prevents a little of that, which I think is important, especially given that he is a messianic figure. And yeah. in Catholicism, there is very much the – conception of jesus as divine and human and that dual nature well the show is really walking a fine line with cisco and i think you're right i think the scenes with jake in this episode and also the scenes with dax in this episode do ground him do remind us that he is at his core a human person and so 
it, 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 it lets Cisco be larger than life as the emissary while yeah. at the same time being grounded, which I think is a smart thing. Well, I mean, you can't you can't really be um, viewed as some sort of uh, you know messianic figure when Dax is making sarcastic kisses. Yeah, him, yeah, though, exactly. Which also, I think that's insubordination. Yeah, <laughs> but she can get <laughs> again anyone else, but it's Dax. I think this episode is interesting because it goes into some of the implications that are inherent in Cisco, a human from the Federation, being this messianic figure. Um, yeah, well, they say that the Federation yeah. and Starfleet have never really been comfortable with this, which makes sense. Well, from Bajor's point of view, one of the, my early notes I wrote in this episode was it's very interesting that the actor playing Cisco is black because if he had been white, there would be a lot more white savior kind of implications to this. He's somebody who is very much from outside. But these turn out to be part of Kai Wynn's uncomfortableness with Cisco because Cisco is somebody who is from outside didn't want this Kaya is somebody who is is from Bajor praying to the prophets her entire life and has not had this experience that yeah again a communion with the prophets is something most Bajorans may want want may strive for may think about and here's somebody who's hadn't set foot on Bajor before talking to the prophets but what is the i guess my question though is what what is the exceptionalism there because of course hmm. you know i mean there's been like <laughs> i'm sure that i mean i know that there's like evangelical theories about if space aliens actually exist jesus saved them all as well you know hmm. that kind of thing <laughs> so you know there, there are all these theories about like every if there are alien you know sentient species out there like they've all had a jesus figure and, and god saved them all hmm. and they have their own religions that are based on christianity uh which is probably not true but they hmm. they need that for their worldview <laughs> but one of the reasons I love Gene Wolfe is because he is writing from a very Catholic perspective, but in his novels, there are cultures in which Catholicism would make no sense, and so it's a very radically different interpretation. It's not just Jesus in space. But right. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's where that comes from, though, is it, it still shows, I think, the close. I don't think that – I mean, I'm sure that there's a, a large portion of the Bajoran population that does have a problem with the emissary being human yeah. – or not Bajoran, I should say – but at the same time, Kira doesn't have a problem with it. We've seen no. a lot of Bajorans that don't have a problem with it. And so it really divides it between, you know, Bajorans that are comfortable with a, yeah. a, a more expansive view of their religion or not. Yeah. Essentially. And, and I think that's possibly to the heart of the nature of the prophets slash wormhole aliens, because if they are of a completely different species than Bajorans, then of course it make it's not a thing in a way that right, right. someone like Cisco could be of Bajor. That it's not really a uh genetic thing in a way, I guess is the Well I guess and, I mean, and we certainly had groups like the Circle early on, which yeah. uh Bajor for the Bajorans was considered a very regressive view in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, I guess the best analogy for this is this is something that I think about from time to time is that, you know, America is a country that that has a lot of problems, of course, but there's also a lot of good things here. And one of the things that I really like and appreciate about America is that um, no matter where you come from, no matter what you look like, no matter your background, no one really 
questions your Americanness. Like you're, once you become a citizen or a permanent resident and you can vote and, and all this kind of stuff, I mean, like the children of immigrants are just Americans, right? And they're not really separated. I mean, certainly there's racism in this country and the, the campaign of Trump that we just experienced uh, was, you know, very indicative of that. And I'm not, you know, downplaying that. But for the most part, I think that a lot of people, you know, that is what happens. Like you're an American. That, that's what you are. Whereas in a lot of other countries, that's not true. I mean, if you look at, you know, Japan, for instance, they have a large minority population, but they're not really viewed as Japanese. Mm. Um, so it is a less race-based version of nationalism than America does. At least, so in, yeah, in, in the back-of-the-box version of America, whether in practice that we can point to a lot of points where this has not been the case, yes. but America wants to be a country which does accept all different people, again, whether... The yeah. concept of an American mm-hmm. doesn't, by definition, have a race attached to it. Whereas, you know, with the Bajoran religion, it seems like it's in transition yes. to to not also have Bajoran attached to it to be, you know, to believe in the prophets. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do with that if they're going to. Well, I do know. But well, will they do anything with it? I don't know. But where I'm thinking is. Kai Wins saying that during the Golden Age, there'll be no Vedics, no Kais, no need for difference between the prophets. You won't need a priestly caste in order to interpret the words of the prophets because they will. And I, during those points, I think her excitement is genuine. I think that is a hope for yeah. Bajor that she eventually wants. And so there would be – in that Golden Age of Bajor, there might not even be distinction between Bajoran and human yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And maybe the last point about that before I move on to, to Valiant is that I think one of the other reasons why uh, Kai Wynn was so insistent that uh, you know Cisco was wrong for not approaching the Vedic Council for, yeah. um, for, for permission to remove the tablet – was that again? We know that Kai Wen is someone who values power, values uh, her status, and that is a direct challenge to that. And so I think that that's really why yeah. she she is offended by that. But I do wish that I think everybody would have. It, it would have been a better thing if Cisco had just said, "Listen, I'd like to let me get a couple of your people, bring them to Deep, Deep Space Nine for as long as it takes, and you know, let's run this through the computers. We'll do a very right. easy and." If the, again, the vetted council might have might likely have said yes to that, or may have said, "Well, we don't want you to remove it from Bajor, but send some people over here or something." Because the let's face it, the Bajorans were just as interested in what was mm-hmm. on the tablet, and they were just at the end. At, they were hitting a wall themselves. Yeah. Again, yeah. I think that if only would if only Wynn and Cisco knew how to work together i think that would be the real way that bejor could move forward that has been kind of the point of federation bejor in order for bejor to move forward it needs to work with the federation and this is another sad example of them being unable to because of their personal history well their personal history and also cisco's role as emissary yeah. i think as well you know yeah. he's not acting as a federation officer here a starfleet officer he's yeah. acting as the emissary but they're so. not necessarily at odds i think he is making them at odds i don't know yeah i will just have to see where it goes um two more things i want to mention before we move on to valiant uh number one of course is our dominion war check-in of the week um in the first scene of the episode it's revealed that they're within striking distance of invading vulcan so yeah. that's bad yeah uh, <laughs> don't really have anything to say about it, but you know, that's, very that's just kind of bad. And also we didn't really talk about the fact that, uh, Kira and Odo are now dating. 
they smush foreheads together, which makes as much sense as kissing, I guess. Um, I was more worried about it being happy hour every hour at Quark's, <laughs> and that's what's going to be in the Bajoran tablet. <laughs> <laughs> Suffer horribly or eat fruits. I know. What kind of language is this? <laughs> well, you know, if you eat a lot of fruit, it can make you have a Suffer little horribly. runny poops. So maybe that's why. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know that there's much to say about Kieran Odo dating, but it's happening, and we're just going to have to lock in and deal with it. Well, when where is the, let, 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 okay, I don't ask you normally for upfront spoilers, but I really need to be prepared for this. Okay. Is there an Oda and Kira wedding episode? There is not. Thank God. I will tell you that. Okay, no, no. You you understand why <laughs> I, I need an actual answer. Yes, they, they do not get married. And well, I'm not saying they get married or not, but there's no wedding episode. Okay, that, 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 that that's way. fine. Is there ever a child? No. Okay. No, and I don't know how that would be possible. Well, I think we. I think. Oh, we talked. We talked. Yeah, about we talked that. about my fan theory. Yeah. Let's talk about Valiant. So I had a lot. I looked up Red Squad a little bit just to because I thought that they had, that had been the squad that was in that Wesley episode, uh, the first duty. I think it was it was not it was called nova squad and huh. yet number one in the they fulfill the very a very similar function they are an elite group of cadets yeah notice the red squad logo is afterburners in the shape of a star which was the maneuver that nova squad was in trouble for in the first duty so i'm getting ready for some fan theory here. I, I i don't know was was red squad intended to be the same thing, except they wanted to detach it slightly, so that way we wouldn't be asking, was Wesley involved in any of the right, shenanigans right. that Red Squad has been involved in? I don't know. I really thought it was Red Squad. Yeah, and again, given given the logo is a very direct, it seems to be a very direct reference to that, the closest I can get is that, well, maybe they heard about this, and the Red Squad has that as their logo because they'd actually do it, that kind of a thing. Well, I mean, you know, the the I'm just coming up with this theory right now, but perhaps Nova Squad was was disbanded. Yeah, that's and true. Red and Squad this... replaced it, but basically, it you know, it was just kind of the name only. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, I think that this episode is um, either yeah, either way, they're the same people basically. They're yeah, they're it's the same type of thing. Yeah, and I think that what I really find interesting about about Valiant in general, and it's a good episode, and I think yeah. it's done very well, and all of the all of the named cadets that are sort of in the episode that we care about the captain, the first officer and the chief play their, play their parts uh, very well. They seem very young, very green, yeah. but also very arrogant because they are the best of the best. And I think what, re- what this really comes down to is the fact that, um, you know, the Federation is a socialist society. Um, and I don't think it's a good idea to have cadets in Starfleet that are above everybody else. It yeah. seems to engender, arrogance and it seems to engender uh, a false sense of confidence confidence that is very ends very very badly yeah i don't think we've ever seen this disastrous of a failure on the the sea in this franchise yet We've well, seen some pretty bad, like, well, 359 kind of a thing, but... You are forgetting the series finale of The Next Generation where Picard flies the Enterprise into a sun. Oh, that was a great moment. <laughs> and then that destroys the entire Alpha Quadrant, which is how Voyager starts off. Yep. Um, but yeah, the uh, they have this moment when they've... I mean, it's very clear that this this team has bitten off a little more than they can chew. They are acting like scared kids who are putting up front i mean putting up fronts i mean the 
the captain is drugged up through the entire episode for the most part. He's abusing uh, Tic Tacs. Oh, no. <laughs> Get them away from him. Um, speaking of the Trump campaign. Uh, yeah. And I, I, we're recording this before the election, by the way. So we really hope Trump is not the president. If he is, we may be in a death squad. Yes. So, um, this may be the last episode you ever hear. <laughs> um. Like, like the medical officer who's with uh, Jake, for, you know, he just mentions the moon and she's in tears. Like she is that close to cracking. Most yeah. of the characters are. Yeah. Uh, well, I got the impression that because they do say in the episode that some of them are as young as 17. Yeah. So I got the impression that she's one of them. Yes. Um, her name is Dorian, I believe. I wrote them down. So Tim was the captain. Tim Waters, yeah. Captain Waters. The first officer was Karen Ferris and the chief was Dorian uh, Collins. Yeah. So take that as you will. But, yeah, I think that what's really interesting about it is that, you know, Jake didn't really do anything wrong. No. You know? No. But these are a bunch of – these are a bunch of kids who need an adult. The One adult dies without realizing that – you know, thinking that they're going to be able to get home because they randomly are on this mission and because their warp drive is crippled, they have to spend these eight months just making their way. Right. Um, I it, mean, I, I think that – the issue with the concept of Red Squad in general or Nova Squad or whatever the hell you want to call it is that and, – and I think it's it slots in really nicely with Nog and we'll talk about Nog as well because, of course, he wanted to be in Red Squad. Yeah. Remember that. Oh, yeah. So yeah, – He would have been in this ship probably. He, yeah, he yeah. would have been. So, oh, that's true. Yeah, I guess him being the maintenance officer on this would have been where he would have naturally gravitated to. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So – the the issue again with Red Squad is you know telling people that they're better than I mean and and again it's a meritocracy they they may indeed be the best of the best but elevating them above giving them better quarters give that that yeah. veers into territory that is you know rewarding people for performing at a high level in ways in which it seems unfair yeah and again it engenders a false sense of confidence well. Yeah, but I I feel like with again with some adults observing them and a few more years under their belt, they may have grown out of that. They may be oh, yeah. the kind of the yeah. crew of the, you know they're groom. This is grooming the crew of the next flagship of the Enterprise. And frankly, you can see a can't you see like this is the this is the pilot episode of a spinoff series if they don't die at the end, but a spinoff series which is, you know, Star Trek Junior and in showing these bunch of very young cadets who have their own ship and they're going in kind of things. I mean, before the war breaks out, that's kind of what the intention of the ship was. There was gonna be it's a bunch of kids with their teacher. It was gonna be the magic school bus, you know, Star right. Trek ed- edition. That they're which their mission, frankly, is ridiculous and makes no sense either. I mean, well, like, their their mission eventually is just kind of we're going to let's take this experimental warship out and circumnavigate the entire Federation. Yeah, it's stupid, but in a way, and, and I just, isn't that funny that they're giving them a kind of bullshit assignment, though? It is, yeah, yeah, it totally is. But I think that what what really gets me about it too is that they're not that far behind enemy lines. Yeah, and I think that that's clear because I wondered about that when I first watched the episode um, today. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that that actually is a really, really indicative yeah. uh, statement on the part of Ron Moore, who wrote the episode, that they could go back to the Federation very yeah. easily, but they don't. Well, they get to a point where they've completed their mission. Now, they shouldn't have even had this mission. The second they got it, they should have got the hell out of got. They should have been getting the hell out of well, it the second their teacher died. That's what I wonder is, you know, the episode makes it seem that once the war started, Starfleet, you know, 
probably gave them a recall order, but they couldn't get out of enemy yeah. lines, as they say. And at this point, they're presumed lost. They're presumed lost, but also the fact that they did give them this mission. And so it, it, it really shows, I think, the, the depth to which Starfleet is really feeling the effects of this war. Mm. And even at that early stage, right? And now the Jem'Hadar have this giant, scary battleship, which destroys essentially the Defiant yeah. very easily. Yeah. I, there's no indication that the um, Valiant has a cloaking device, because I think they would have used it. But because I think that that was a one off for uh, the Defiant with the Romulans mm, back yeah. in the third season. So and also the fallout, of course, from the Romulans getting involved in the war from in the yeah. pale moonlight. So there's a lot going on here. But essentially, uh, it's just a series of bad decisions yes. that compound on each other. And they do not none of the none of the people on the ship, none of the cadets on the ship have the experience to realize that these are are just Things are not happening well. Yeah. Uh, that they dress down Jake for making that one one thing you think of home. I mean, that's the kind of thing where on the Enterprise, they would have sent her to Counselor Troy and she would have talked about it. And right. she would have gotten home to become a positive memory for her. And but, but, but because we have, again, a bunch of kids who don't really have an adult and who are stressed and strained, they take – I mean the – it's very close to fascism in this episode. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's a cult of personality. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the very end, when Dorian is lying in sickbay on yeah. the Defiant, she's the only one of the cadets that has survived, behind, you know, besides, yeah. of course, Nog and Jake are, you know, main characters. They're not going to die. But, well, Nog's not a main character, but, you know, he, he kind of is. That yeah. um, she still thinks of him as a great man. And this yeah. is, by definition, a cult of personality. And yeah. I think that this is, really, this is a really nice episode for Nog. And it also develops his character very nicely because I think he's finally gotten out of the sense of not being good enough. Yeah. I think he's finally realized that red squad was not what he really, yeah. not, not what he thought it was. These are a bunch of arrogant people that think that they're better than everyone yeah. else. And they're not. And I think it's, I mean that, that line at the very end of the episode where he says, basically, you know, captain waters may have been a great man, but he yeah. was a bad captain. Yeah. And because she is still convinced that they all failed the captain, not yeah. that the captain failed them. I mean, the captain was looking for glory. He he literally says at one point, if we leave, somebody else has to finish what we started. I mean, I, I, and there's Jake's, no, well, well, there's no sense that, you know, we've been watching Star Trek for a long time now. If anybody had come up with this kind of plan on the Enterprise or anybody had come up with this yeah. kind of plan on Deep Space Nine or or even, for that matter, the original series, there would have been discussions surrounding, okay, this is a very obvious design flaw. Yeah, so, this is a trick. Is this a trick? Is this a sensor malfunction? Is something going on here where it is actually made out of this metal, but it's shielded in some way so we can't yeah. actually do this? Essentially, they think that they're smarter than... The, the Jem'Hadar who designed yeah. the ship or the Vorta who designed the ship. I don't mm -hmm. know who actually designs these ships. Because the Red Squad. Because the Red Squad. And they're not. And that's the problem with it is that they don't have the experience. They don't have the knowledge to realize yeah. this is probably not what they think it is. And they just immediately go to the easiest answer and it ends in disaster for them. And see, I think Jake says the exact wrong thing when he, he has that moment yeah. when the captain actually lists, he turns it inadvertently into a challenge. See, their mission was to find this blueprint and leave. Jake could have brought up the very reasonable thing that maybe Starfleet intelligence doesn't want 
the to blow Dominion, it up. doesn't want the Dominion to know we have their plans yet. If we blow the ship up using this, they'll figure it out. Right. They'll know we're in space. We need to just get that back. That that may Captain may have listened to that. But, yeah, and I think that that's you know, I if, think that that's a much better argument. Or if we get destroyed, if we get crippled, we may not be able to get this stuff back. That's right. the most important, the information. Yeah, I don't know that they did. I mean, I have no yeah. idea. It's not resolved at the end of the episode. I think that's a much better argument, but I also think it's one that would not be true to the character yeah, of Jake. Yeah, that's it. He's not a Starfleet officer, so he doesn't think That's like it. That. Yeah, again. I mean, he, he appeals to – he does make exactly the wrong argument, which is – my father is the best person in Starfleet, and he would never do that. He said he can't do it. Right. So if he can't do it, nobody can. Red Squad can! Right, <laughs> right. Because that's a challenge to them. Yeah. That's getting their hackles up, and they're like, yes, exactly. we can do this. We can do this. So it, it's a direct challenge to their authority and their to their very core of what they think they can accomplish. I mean, this is a very – it's a kind of a damning statement made at the end that – you know, all of the talent and brilliance doesn't really match up to experience. Right. But right. that is well, definitely the case in this. It is the case, and that's why we don't gen- – I mean, that's why Starfleet generally yeah. doesn't crew entire ships with cadets. And again, in a time of peace, in the next generation times, this ship might have been a perfect idea. Maybe this was something that had been done – no, they say they've never heard of a – but they know the concept of a training ship. Sure. That's very – this may have We've been – We've seen that in the original series movies. Exactly. This may have been a particularly elite training ship, a particularly elaborate, but it's still not one that – it was just a bad timing and bad decisions just colliding with each other. Yeah, I think so. And what I was thinking about is the one standout of Nova Squad from Wesley's episode who at the end chooses to take all of the blame on himself and – you know, leaves Starfleet Academy yeah. absolving blame from everybody else. And there is that scene at the end that that's a quality that isn't a very good captain. That's the kind of decision that Kirk or right. Cisco or Picard would have made. And it is ironic that this one who is so such a good cadet that he even gets a promotion to captain on the battlefield doesn't have that. He just has that seeking glory rather than yeah. worrying about the well-being of a ship well i think so and i think that's what it really comes down to is that you know uh, captain waters did not yeah. translate um the the very real sense of superiority that yeah. red squad has into a broader sense of the 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 role of what the captain is supposed to be in yeah. completing his orders while at the same time protecting his crew and um the the larger whole of being a part of Starfleet and yeah. and just being a cog in a machine and they're you know they're Red Squad they can do whatever yeah. they want they can get their orders done and then go out and do more orders <laughs> and it's like well you can't actually I mean yeah. you know Picard can do that because he's Picard but Picard had but think about the, the episode Tapestry where Picard is a cock he might as well be someone from Red, Red yeah. Squad Picard, young Picard would have fit in very well there and yet. He has his moment of humbling. He has his moment of death, of absolute failure, and that's what causes him to, you know, that's what begins to hone him into the man he ultimately becomes. Yeah. Maybe if Captain Waters had been able to escape from this, that would have been his, you know, that's kind of the tragedy of this episode. If the ship had been able to escape, this would have been Waters' humbling moment. He would have been a much better captain after this, but he unfortunately 
doesn't survive to learn that lesson. Well, let's not forget he gets everyone killed. Yeah. Except for three people. Exactly. And two of them are only protected because they're you know, main characters on the show. Right. That the third one even survives is only because she needs to say a very poignant and ironic line at the end. That's the right. only reason she survives. Right, right. And I think, you know, thematically, of course, it makes sense that she survives because she's the one that precipitates yes. this entire sort of witch hunt on Jake's part. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, I think Nog is interesting in this episode because, Nog, yeah. again, Nog could have been these these cadets yeah. in this situation. But Nog is in a very different situation because he has been able to learn mm. from some of the best people in Starfleet. He is what he is a huge Cisco fanboy. He has taken all even though Nog drinks the Kool-Aid fair you know, Kool-Aid Nog and is stays still in young. that. Yeah, he's still very impressionable. Waters is very handsome and charismatic and this is again a feeling that Nog is where he's supposed to be, but never trust a man with a good head of hair, I'm sorry. That's you're that's why I'm bald. Cisco ha Cisco hasn't been without uh Jake and Nog have had adults around them for the past eight months and who have been. Right. I mean, there is something vaguely Lord of the Flies about this where uh, so yeah. outside of civilization and on their own, they're kind, they kind of get going to get a bit decadent. Really. Well, and they have weird um, – there, there's a weird relationship between the captain and the first officer as well. And yeah. I couldn't really figure out if they were fucking or not. I mean, like, they're, they're, they're 20, 22. I mean, of course they are. <laughs> Well, I think that like there's there when she goes into his ready room at some point and, and questions him about you know do you look tired and he's yeah. like, I'm not sleeping we're not you know none of yeah, none yeah. of us are sleeping et cetera et cetera I'm going to have some more tic tacs, um, <laughs> you know she says okay I'll see you at eighteen hundred hours and it's like why are they seeing each other at eighteen hundred mm. hours like that was the line for me that that kind of uh, jumped out because it implied to me that there was something else going on there and she had a lot of influence on him because yeah. she is the first officer and that is her role but. If if they were having a romantic sexual relationship, that would complicate things even more. Yeah, or ha uh, again, it, it, it's not at all remotely a stretch to say that again. Two people who are that young, that stressed, working closely would have it, or maybe even they haven't had a romantic relationship. Frankly, they could be two people who, in a normal situation would have been dating but because they're in this particular situation he doesn't seem like he's the kind of person who would make time for romance romance no but i mean they could still be fucking he's not even sleeping for you know an, an hour or two at a time so I, I i don't think he would well he's got the magic tic tacs i don't really think that the magic tic tacs are very good for blood flow let's just leave it at that i thought you were gonna say blowjobs well i don't think they're good for that either they're good before well, you kiss <laughs> Let's talk about Karen Ferris because she is horrible. And something in her reminded me a lot of Admiral Nicheyev, a general. Yeah, actually, alike. yeah. I think she has a very similar hairstyle, and I, I don't know. That that was part of my— She reminded me a little bit of Shelby, only because they're both blonde and have mm. similar hairstyle, Maybe, too. I but... mean, listen, all blonde women look the same to me. That is true. Most yeah. women look the same to me, but that's a terrible thing for me to say. And we are watching the standard definition version, so it's all just smears, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 you're not. I don't think you're supposed to like her. No, uh, she's she's very, very aloof. She's very suspicious. Yeah, she is extremely paranoid. But then there's, but isn't there something terrible about the fact that somebody who is at most twenty two is has that personality? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like th- th- this is. Well, how did she, you know, someone with that personality, like how did she actually get into Red Squad? Like, is she just that good? She doesn't seem like good Starfleet material to me. But again, and... we've seen these people after eight months of being behind enemy lines, having a captain who's not 100% thinking correctly. You know, yeah. They, they, they've, they've, again, in any other. In any other situation, they may – again, they may be a little arrogant. They may need knocking down a peg, but I'm sure they're fine otherwise. This is just something that is stretched to them. Any other time, you know, well, tell, tell Doreen about the moon and she'll talk, you know, about how beautiful it is, but she's not going to burst out crying. Right. Well, in, that I mean, that is stress, yeah. right? I, I well, think they're all in a very they, – they've all been damaged by this experience. They're, they are. They're traumatized. But I, yeah. But I th- and that's obviously the point of the episode yeah. is that they're not ready for this. But I think that, you know, we talk about the captain being responsible for what happens to them. I think we also need to be, you know, yeah. if the first officer is responsible as well. And yeah. and I think that she is engendering a, a, a culture of suspicion and paranoia on the ship that is not helping things. Yeah. Because in that scene where Jake and Dorian go into the mess hall to get coffee, I don't know if you noticed, but all the cadets yeah. are staring at Jake and looking very suspiciously at him. And I don't think that that's coming from them. I think that's coming from the culture that the first yeah. officer has engendered on the ship. Well, here's somebody who is not one of them. He's an outsider. Yeah. Right. Because it's, again, this is kind of like a cult. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is that kind of thing where when you have, and Nog is only accepted because the captain even says Nog is an officer. He'll do his duty. Yes. And they give him a promotion and they give him a little red squad pin and everything is fine, even though he's wearing an actual uniform. He is, you know, that that is the question, too, is like, uh, wouldn't Nog immediately outrank all of them because he is now a commissioned officer in Starfleet and they're still all cadets? I don't know how that worked because they're because Waters gets a battlefield promotion and he says, I've used that to promote everybody else. So yes, but maybe it still w- cadets though. They haven't graduated. I know that they, but, but at the same time, if not may, and maybe when they all get back to civilization, that's how everything would shake up. But yeah, I don't think Nog is the person to challenge. Any, yeah. If, if either of them, if either Nog or Jake said, well, technically then Nog would be in the brig with him. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know, funnily enough, when I did the research for this episode, um, Memory Alpha said that they initially conceived this episode as being um, Jake and Kira. And they just huh. could not they just could not make it work because yeah. you would not believe that Kara would not immediately just like beat everyone into submission and yeah. take control of the ship. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. So it's yeah. like having it be Nog made a lot more sense and it no, made the episode it needs, work. It needs to be too relatively green, the, the, relatively the, the same young. age. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. But again, this is I, I like that they're doing they're doing a lot with Jake being a reporter and and witnessing. This is very much like the episode where he was in the hospital, where he's just kind of he's there for a very weird event that says something poignant about leadership in the end. I yeah. mean, this is a yeah. uh, the 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 lesson that he gets from that episode, the triage episode, and what was that called? Oh, um, I don't remember. But yeah, I know what you're yeah. talking about. The lesson that he gets from that is that even the most hardened uh, military— On death's door, yeah. the moonlight comes into the space. I don't know. <laughs> no, even the most hardened uh, uh, military people still have moments of terror and doubt. War is sure. indeed hell. It's not something that's ever fun. Sure. It's, even it's, when you're on a cushy starship. Exactly. Uh, you know, these these are things that the Starfleet officers think very hard and have moments and crises of faith. Um, this one, the lesson that he gets is he he's he's seeing almost the opposite thing. Somebody who 
needed more of a crisis of faith about yeah. it and needed to be a little more open to doubt because at in, in this case the doubts were right the doubts that you know we've gotten more that we we somehow against all odds got this mission now let's not tempt fate quit while we're ahead let's go home and we'll be heroes anyway yeah because yeah. they would have become gone home heroes we brought the valiant home in one piece and we've got data you know unfortunately the captain passed you know, da- you know. data wasn't on the ship he's on the enterprise wasn't this the enterprise no wait 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 so there was jake and data got on the ship right yes okay yeah it's been a while yeah. since i watched this episode <laughs> <laughs> no i know what you mean and i think that um you're right, and I think that at the end of the day, what that really shows is is they have a lack of self restraint. Yeah, and if they had complete, they got they got the mission done. Yeah, and if they said, okay, we got the plans, let's go home, they would have brought the Valiant back. Yeah. They all would have been alive except for the um, you know, the 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 seven officers that were with them to to observe yeah. them. And Starfleet would have given them medals of commendation. Yeah. said, you guys did a great job under extraordinary circumstances. Take you, your job. <laughs> you, yeah, you brought the ship back. You were able to keep control of your ship, and you got the mission done. That's a great job. But they wanted to go that one step further, and that is the hubris of the moment. And that's, that, that's what ultimately destroys them. They get too close to the fire. That's what makes him a bad captain in the end. Yeah, yeah. It's a very daring, I think, episode. For yeah, the show, especially this late in the show's run. No, but but one that makes a lot of sense and goes with the general. Why are the people that we've seen as starship captains? Why did they become captains? Right, and, right. And this is why you don't become a captain right out of the academy. Yeah, this is why you don't become a captain while you're still a captain. Yeah, that this is this is why the rank system exists. This is why yeah. you have to go through promotions. This is why people do not become captains until they're like you know in their forties usually. Well, it's a kind of, and it is another perspective of what goes on in Trill, where you have to you don't get to become a joint Trill just by doing well in all of your tests you need to yeah. have something a little more and whatever that little more is tommy waters unfortunately didn't have it yeah yeah did you notice there was a trail on the ship yes yeah i don't know if he was joined or not but well i like to imagine that he was like what the fuck huh. i've had seven lifetimes and you guys are fucking this <laughs> up but no he probably wasn't joined yeah all right well i think that's it for that episode okay well I, if you have any i had fun i had fun too it was great uh it took a couple weeks off, so we haven't done this in a while. So <laughs> we're like, we're, ha- we're happy to be back to it. Well, if you have any thoughts on this episode of the podcast, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. If you give us $5 a month or more, you will get a special patrons-only episode Ooh. at the beginning of every month. And it also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. You should listen to it. We're doing the wonderful, underrated, sadly forgotten... No, I'm not sarcastic at all. It's a great show. <laughs> You're sounding really sarcastic oh, now. I'm not sarcastic at all. This is a great show. Okay, that sounds genuine. Yeah. Uh, United States of Tara. We're talking about the first season of that on our other podcast, Tuning In, which you can find at tuninginshow.com. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our username is truckaboutshow. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truckabout. It is the best way to help the show and gets us new listeners. Next week... We are only four episodes away from the seventh season, the last season of Deep Space Nine, oh my God. which is just insane. It's an insane season. Oh, man. So they replace the ca- the captain with somebody else, and then they're like the war is over, so they just like have Penn and Teller appear. And- it's a 26-part episode where uh, Cisco is alone in a room talking with the prophets oh it's, it, it was a daring choice okay i thought it was going to be filmed in real time in one day in the life of uh 
<laughs> and then, like, you know, eight episodes are just going to well, be someone sleeping. Interestingly enough, they yeah. could do that because there are 26 episodes in a season and there are 26 hours in the Bajoran day. I know. That's why I said it. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the episodes Prophet and Lace and Time's Orphan. And yes, Prophet is spelled P R O F I T. Is it Prophet and Lace or Loss? Lace. Prophet and Lace. So it's going to be a Ferengi episode. Oh, I thought. Okay. Yep. And Time's Orphan. So we'll talk to you then. <laughs>